In this episode, we're going to talk about how to give an effective invitation. How do you give an invitation uh, where you give people an opportunity to respond to the gospel? In this specific episode, we're going to be talking about how do you give the gospel clearly before you give an actual invitation. But I want to give you a couple reminders of why you should consider, if you're a pastor, a youth leader, um, giving the gospel every single week as a part of your sermon, your talk, giving that gospel message on a consistent basis. I was a pastor uh, for 10 years, started a church March 12, 1989, with my good lifelong friend Rick Long. And uh, we started that church. We made a commitment. We'll give the gospel every single week, no matter what. And we did. And we saw as a result, over 60% of our congregation came to Christ as a result, uh, many of as a result of coming to Christ on Sunday morning. Uh, people would invite their friends out. People would share the gospel during the week, but they'd also invite their friends out because they knew the gospel would be given. So I want to just give a quick summary of four reasons why we should consider giving the gospel every week. Number one, you don't know how many unsaved people are in your church services or youth group on any given Sunday. Uh, Romans 10, 14 says, How can they call on the one whom they've not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? Do not commit what, uh, what I call the sin of assumption, assuming that just because they're there in youth group, just because they're there on Sunday morning, uh, just because they're there in your meeting, that they're automatically saved. Matter of fact, I believe uh, there are most likely unsaved people in every Sunday morning gathering in every youth group gathering that desperately need to hear the gospel of Christ. I remember once years ago, I was invited to the University of Colorado. There was a campus ministry, uh, and I was there to speak to them about evangelism. When I got up there, the lady who was leading it said, what are you going to talk about? I said, well, why share the gospel? And then at the end, I'll give the gospel to make sure. She goes, well, everybody here is a Christian. I go, well, you don't actually know that. You hope that. I hope that. But at the end, I'll give the gospel, give an invitation. She says, well, I don't want you to. And I'm like, lady, you're not giving me an honorarium anyway. But no, no matter what, everywhere I go, I give the gospel. I give an opportunity for people to respond. She goes, well, I don't want you to. I go, well, I'm going to do it anyway. She goes, well, just know it's under protest. I'm like, what does that even mean? And so I, I, I did my talk. I challenged every believer there, these college students at University of Colorado, Give the, I mean, uh, give the gospel to your friends. Share the good news of Jesus. And then at the end, I said, maybe you're here today and you don't know Christ. Let me just explain what that message is. And so I went through the gospel. I had everybody bow their heads and close their eyes. And when everybody bowed their head and closed their eyes, everybody did except for one person, that leader. She was not going to bow her head and close her eyes. She was going to prove to me that everybody there was a Christian. She was just kind of looking around. I said, if that message made sense and you're putting your faith in Jesus right now, raise your hand. And I'm not kidding you, the lady to her right, the girl to her right raised her hand, the girl to her left raised her hand. She looked both ways. She looked at me and I was like, told you, boom. She had committed the sin of assumption. I committed the sin of gloating. She committed the sin of assumption. She assumed that just because they were there in her campus ministry meeting that they were saved. Don't commit the sin of assumption. Secondly, here's a second reason to give the gospel every single week. Your people will start inviting their lost friends, neighbors, family members, and coworkers if they know you consistently give the gospel. Uh, your, your adults, your teenagers, they know every week the gospel is going to be given. 
I can invite my friends and they will hear the gospel. Maybe those students or those adults don't feel quite ready to share the gospel personally, or maybe they're sharing the gospel, but they want something to put them over the edge. They know they can invite them to church or youth group or that meeting where they'll clearly hear the gospel. We see this in John 1, 45 and 46. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. See, Philip had heard the good news, and he's inviting Nathanael, Hey, come and see. Come and see the, the Messiah. Come and hear the good news. And we gotta, we got to be able to do that. we got to be able to uh, help uh, our adults, our students, know that anytime uh, they have a lost friend, if they invite them to church or youth group, uh, they can hear the gospel clearly. I remember a couple of years ago, I was preaching in a large church, and the pastor who invited me in uh, was in the congregation. Sometimes they take the Sunday off when I come in and preach, but he was in the congregation, and he had actually, he and his wife had been working on, on a, a lost person to come to church, and it was happened to be that day that lost person came to church, and afterward, uh, the pastor came up to me and goes, you know what? We've been inviting this person out to, to church for years, and this was the Sunday they came. And he goes, Greg, I know how people feel now uh, when they invite their lost friends out to church, hoping and praying that I give the gospel clearly. I said, man, exactly. So give the gospel clearly and give it every single week. The third reason you should, uh, again, why you should give the gospel, an invitation every week, the members of your congregation will learn how to give the gospel by hearing you do it again and again every week. When your people, when your teenagers hear you give the gospel every week, they learn in the process how to give the gospel themselves. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up. One of your jobs as a pastor, as an evangelist, is to equip your people to do the works of service. When they hear you give the gospel every week, you're equipping them to share the gospel clearly. I'll never forget a guy named Rich Sullivan uh, came to the church I pastored. Uh, he told me he led someone to Christ. I said, Rich, where did you go through our evangelism training? He goes, no, I hear you give the gospel every single week. So I learned how to give the gospel consistently. And a fourth reason, not the final reason, but it's a fourth reason to give the gospel consistently is it honors Jesus. 2 Timothy 2, 8 and 9, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel which, for which I'm suffering to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not chained. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead. Remember Jesus Christ, Christ and him crucified. When you give the gospel in your sermon, sermon you are honoring Jesus Christ. So give the gospel, give it every single week, and I challenge you also give an invitation uh, on a consistent basis. There's different ways to do that, but some sort of invitation. Okay, today I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to you, and I wanna I wanna say this. Um, I wanna help you make sure you're given the gospel, not just every single week, but you're given the gospel clearly every single week. I'd venture to tell you this that 90% of the gospel presentations I hear in conferences, evangelistic outreaches, and many churches across the nation are at best unclear, if not false. And I know that's a big accusation, but I stand by it. 
And I'll tell you this, I usually cringe when I hear the typical evangelist or typical pastor give the gospel and give their invitation. Why do I cringe? I cringe for the lost person who is not understanding what the preacher is saying. I cringe for the confusion in their soul on what they must do to be saved. I cringe for the integrity of the gospel message, which has been watered down oftentimes or added to. I cringe for the Lord Jesus Christ, who's been dishonored by a message that distracts from his finished work on the cross and makes salvation about saying a prayer or walking an aisle or checking off a list. And I cringe for that preacher who will have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for the clarity of the message they preach. This is a very serious issue. So before, in the next episode, we talk about how to give an actual invitation. I want to talk to you about making sure that you give the clear gospel. You know, there's a whole book, the book of Galatians, that is written to the Galatian believers to warn them against accepting and preaching a false gospel. And that was a gospel that required one little act. The legalistic Judaizers, those who who had professed faith in Christ, but also still were holding on to Judaism, said, listen, the Gentiles were coming to God. They must be required to be circumcised. Faith is not enough. I want you to add one little act, circumcision. You know what? Do you know how strongly Paul reacted? And Paul, who himself was most likely a member of the Sanhedrin, definitely a Pharisee of Pharisees, uh, as regard to legalistic righteousness, he was right at the top of his class, right? He came to Christ. He came. He understood grace. Grace overtook him like a flood, and he, be, he became very clear on the gospel that we're saved by faith alone in Christ. He felt so strongly against those who were trying to add one little act of circumcision as a requirement to be saved in addition to faith. In Galatians 5.12, he gives this epic line. I wish they'd go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Okay, this is a pretty serious issue. Paul is saying, you add one thing, you ruin the whole thing. So we must give the gospel clearly. Paul wrote to the believers in Colossae in Colossians 4.4, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Now, dare to share, we've, we've explained this several different ways, but one of the most popular ways we explain it is with water. We have, I have three different glasses of water here. One is a clear you know, glass of pure water, right? We'll let this represent the clear gospel of grace. We want to offer our people, we want to offer teenagers, uh, we want to offer everyone the clear gospel of grace. Nothing added. Pure, simple grace gospel. There's some gospels, though, that are muddy, right? We'll call this the, the muddy presentation. Now, if you're dying of thirst and you, you see a mud hole with a little water in it, uh, you, chances are 50-50. You may drink it and survive. Uh, you may drink it uh, and get, you know, bacteria and die, right? Um, so we, we don't want a muddy, muddy presentation of the gospel. These are more like terms. We're going to talk about this in a little bit, but terms that Christians often use that really make the gospel unclear. It's not a false gospel, but it's an unclear gospel. Then there's another, there's another um, gospel presentation that looks clear, but you add those works. It's added deeds. It could be baptism. It could be whatever that's, that 
and we think we're presenting a clear gospel, but really it is poison. And we want to make sure we are definitely not serving the poisonous message. So is your gospel clear with nothing added? That's what we want to be able to present to our students, to everyone, the clear gospel of grace. So, of course, I'm with Dare to Share, so I got an acrostic for clear. How do you know what a clear gospel is? C-L-E-A-R. I almost forgot how to spell clear, but I remembered. C, cross and Christ-centric. We'll talk about that. I'm just going to go over these real quick. L, lays out the whole story of the gospel. E, easy to understand. A, always sounds too good to be true. And R, relentlessly focuses on faith alone in Christ alone. So let's break those down. Uh, cross and Christ-centric. Paul writes to the Corinthians. He says these words in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. So basically he's saying, listen, this is priority number one. I received it. I was trained in this message, and I pass it on to you. And it's first importance, priority number one, numero Uno, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He rose from the dead three days later according to the Scriptures. So, when we present the gospel, it must be Christ and cross-centric. We've got to remember the cross. We have an acrostic that I'll go over in a little bit that lays out the whole story of the gospel. But when I used to train students how to share the gospel, I said, listen, if you forget everything else— Remember the cross. Take them to the cross of Christ. I just want to say this. You would be shocked how many times I have heard evangelists, preachers, pastors, youth leaders give the gospel without even mentioning the cross. Or maybe just briefly mention it. I mean, that makes no sense to me. That's like telling a joke, but forgetting the punchline, right? you got to tell the story of Christ and Him crucified. Paul put it this way, I determined to know nothing among you except for Christ and Him crucified. When you forget everything else, remember the cross. If you forget Christ and the cross, you are not preaching the gospel. The substitutionary atonement of Christ has got to be Right at the center of your gospel presentation. Yesterday I heard a sermon. I always pray for the for the pastors when they're preaching, Lord, help them to give the gospel clearly. Well, this this pastor preached the gospel, preached the cross, talked about Jesus dying in our place for our sin. Said, you know, you're, you don't earn your salvation. It's not a layaway program where you make payments on it. It is paid in full. You receive it simply by faith. And I'm like, amen, amen, amen. I went up to that pastor after I go, that was a clear, clear gospel because it was focused on Christ and the cross. You know, the church I attend uh, in Arvada, Colorado, uh, we when you sit there in the audience, you see a light, a spotlight that goes over to the edge of the stage and there's a huge cross. And I thought, how fitting that, that there's a spotlight on the cross. Make sure when you give the gospel, there's a spotlight on Christ and Him crucified. So, see, 
It's cross and Christ-centric. Secondly, L lays out the whole story of the gospel. Acts 20, 27, the Apostle Paul said, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So you got to tell the whole story of the gospel. The whole story of the gospel is the whole story of the Bible. As a matter of fact, uh, at Dare to Share, uh, we use a gospel acrostic, which I referred to, but it literally tells the whole story of the gospel from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. G-O-S-P-E-L. G is God created us to be with him. We see this with, in Genesis 1 and 2 with the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. Perfect fellowship with each other. Perfect fellowship with God. God created us to be with him. Oh, our sins separate us from God. Genesis 3, right? When Adam and Eve uh, eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and this is the passage we call the fall because they fell spiritually away from God. They spiritually died, right? And they rebelled against God. And let me just make this quick point. You're sharing the gospel. You got to talk about sin. Because if people don't know about sin, they don't know that they are sinners, they won't understand that they need a Savior. If somebody doesn't know they're drowning, they're not going to need a rescuer, right? So they need to know about sin. Our sins separate us from God. Genesis 3. S is sins cannot be removed by good deeds. We see this from Genesis 4 through Malachi 4, all through the Old Testament. The blood, the sweat, and the tears. The blood of the Old Testament sacrifices, the sweat of the Israelites trying to obey the 613 Old Testament commands, the tears of contrition when they failed to do uh, to keep those commands. All of that was a, it was an endless cycle of desperation uh, because there was no amount of blood from the sacrifices, no amount of uh, obedience to those commands, no amount of contrition uh, when they failed to keep those commands that would ever remove the stain of their sin. As I say often, uh, our good deeds are like putting white frosting on a burnt cake, right? Sins cannot be removed by good deeds. So P, paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. We see this in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that Jesus died in our place for our sin. He substituted his life for ours. He took our punishment upon himself. He took our sins upon himself, and he died in our place for our sins. Read in Isaiah 53. I just, it was in my devotions this morning that the Lord had laid on him the iniquity of, a, of us all. Jesus died in our place for our sins and rose from the dead. Then E, everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. We see this in the book of John. Uh, believe, 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 believe. That means to trust in or rely upon uh, what Jesus did for you. Rely on him based on his finished work on the cross and you receive eternal life. And L, life with Jesus, starts now and lasts forever, right? And we see this from Acts through the book of Revelation. It's not just the quality of life, it's the quantity of life. Uh, it is it is a eternal life that is relational. Uh, we don't get it after we die. We get it as soon as we believe and we find our new identity, belonging, and purpose in Christ and his cause and that, that means we'll be in heaven someday, but we have a purpose on earth today. So tell the whole story of the gospel. Uh, a clear gospel lays out the whole story. It's like, like when you go into a uh, court as a witness and the bailiff makes you put your hand on the Bible and say, I, I promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. As preachers, we need to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So tell the whole story. And that gospel acrostic is an easy way, almost like quality 
control to make sure you're telling the whole story of the gospel from the beginning to the end. The E in the clear acrostic is easy to understand. Is your gospel so easy that, uh, to understand that a child could comprehend it? I'll be honest with you, I didn't come to Christ for a long time because I was confused by terms. Like the term, let Jesus into your heart. That kept me from really understanding the gospel because I did not understand what that meant. They'd say, Jesus is standing at the door of your heart, just knock and let him in. And I would be like, come on in, Jesus. Are you there? Over. Are you actually in my heart? Knock three times on my pancreas if you made it. I thought if I cough too hard, there goes Jesus. Got a heart transplant, I'm going straight to hell. Unless the guy I got the heart transplant from had Jesus in his heart. But maybe he had Buddha in his heart. I didn't know. I was so confused because that made no sense to me. By the way, that term, let Jesus in your heart, is nowhere, nowhere in the New Testament. Some of you would say, what about Revelation 3.20 where where Jesus writes to the church of Laodicea, Behold, I, you know, I'm standing at the door and knocking. If you hear that knock, open it up. I'll come fellowship with you. He's talking to believers who had closed him out and said, You open that door, and I want to have fellowship with you. I'm banging on the door as a believer, right? That's not talking to unbelievers. So make sure we're clear in our terms. 2 Corinthians 11.3, Paul writes, But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve... By his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. You want to offer the clear gospel, easy to understand, not the muddy gospel, definitely not the false gospel. Let me tell you some, some things that are unclear. Phrases like, just say this prayer and you'll be saved. Now, I'm not against the sinner's prayer. I lead people through the sinner's prayer. But I always say, saying a prayer doesn't save you. It's your faith in Christ that saves you. Or there's other terms like, hey, you got to turn from your sin before you come to Jesus. Think about how confusing that is. If I could turn from my sin before I came to Christ, why would I need to come to Christ? Instead, we come to Christ as sinners, and he turns us from our sin. He begins a process. He's still turning me from my sin. It's a lifelong process. We're not fully turned from our sin until we're in the presence of Christ in our glorified body. But that, that begins at the moment of salvation. It flows from now salvation. So we want to make sure that we're giving the gospel clearly. I'll give you a quick little illustration. Every gospel presentation either focuses on a ladder or a cross. Actually, let me put it this way. Every gospel presentation either focuses on a ladder or a chair. So a ladder has rungs, right? You got you to gotta take the stairway, the ladder, to heaven. You know, Islam has got five rungs, the five pillars of Islam. Buddhism, I think, has got eight different rungs, eight different things you have to do to make it to wherever, right? Hinduism has its rungs. Mormonism has its rungs. Every world religion has its rungs. Only Christianity is about a chair, not a ladder. What I mean by that is we, what do you do with a chair? Like I'm doing with this couch. I am resting on this couch. I'm putting my full weight on this couch. In the same way, you sit on a chair. You rest on a chair. You trust in a chair. Whenever I hear a gospel presentation 
and it's more than one thing, I think, okay, they're a ladder approach. If they're not saying, put your faith alone in Christ alone, then they have a ladder approach to salvation. you got to turn, try, cry, believe, receive, whatever. All those different things become a ladder approach as opposed to resting on Christ and Him crucified, putting our full weight on Him. Okay, the A in the clear uh, acrostic is always sounds too good to be true. Titus 3, 3 through 5, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hatred and hating one being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of our God and Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Not because of the ladder, but because of the chair, so to speak. We're saved by his mercy through Christ's work for us on the cross, and we fully rest in him. Let me just tell you, if your gospel doesn't sound too good to be true, it's not good, and it's not true. Even the Apostle Paul was, was accused of preaching this message that said, well, hey, some are saying in Romans, he says this in Romans 3, some say that, hey, we're preaching this message, why not sin so that grace may abound? Their condemnation is just. He wasn't saying uh, grace was a license to sin, but he is saying that every time you preach grace, it's going to be falsely accused of being a license to sin. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the prince of preachers, great preacher, uh, said this, if your gospel is not falsely accused of being a license to sin, it's not the gospel of grace. So our gospel message sounds too good to be true. What did Jesus say? What was the illustration Jesus used with Nicodemus before John 3.16? Because Jesus gives a really specific Old Testament illustration to illustrate salvation. John 3.14 through 16, just as Moses lifted up, the, lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. What Jesus is referring to is the Old Testament story in Numbers 21, 4 through 9, where the Israelites were judged for their incessant sin of complaining so God unleashed venomous snakes in their midst to kill them off. But Moses, once again, interceded on their behalf. Here was God's solution in Numbers 21, 8 and 9. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole. When anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. This is the illustration that Jesus gives of salvation. Just like that snake was on a pole, people looked at it and lived. Jesus Christ is going to be hung up on a cross. Those who look to him will live. God's solution was simple. Look at the fake snake and live in the Old Testament. And this is the exact illustration Jesus used. Look and live. Believe and receive. That's it. That is all. Now I want you to imagine some of the religious leaders in Moses' day saying, no, that's way too easy. The Israelites must really look. They must look hard at that snake. They must look so hard that their eyes turn red because if they don't burst a small blood vessel in the white of their eyes, then the look that they gave was not a genuine look. Afterward, they must produce fruit in keeping with that look because if they did not produce that fruit, they fake looked. They never looked at the snake on the pole to begin with. They were fake looking. Absurd. 
what Moses tells uh, the Israelites is look and live. What we tell the lost is look and live. Look at Jesus and him crucified and live. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. But don't they need to believe hard? Don't they need to believe so hard that they're willing to blank? Fill in the blank. No, they need to believe in Jesus, to truly put their faith upon him. Some people say, well, that's, that's too easy. I say this, how easy is it to put my full weight and my eternal destiny in the hands, the nail-pierced hands of somebody I've never actually met physically? It's so easy a child could do it. And it's so challenging a religious person could choke on it. Man, I encourage you to read Chuck Swindoll's classic book, Grace Awakening, especially the third chapter entitled, Isn't Grace Risky? If your gospel doesn't sound too good to be true, it's not the gospel. And finally, how do we give the clear gospel? The R is relentlessly focus on faith alone and Christ alone. Romans 3.22, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. That Latin term, there's a Latin term that fueled the Reformation, sola fide, faith alone. That was mind-blowing because at the time, the Roman Catholic Church was, it was not by faith alone. They considered that message anathema. They were like, it's faith plus penance, faith plus confession, faith plus whatever. So when, when Martin Luther preached, man, oh, it's by faith alone and Christ alone, that was a revolutionary message, and it's just as revolutionary today. We are saved by faith alone and Christ alone. Now, here's the question I always get. What about repentance? Is repentance necessary for salvation? And the answer is this. Yes, it is absolutely necessary for salvation, but it is not a two-step process. Repentance is not separate from faith. Now, when you look in Scripture, sometimes you'll see it commands us to repent. Sometimes you'll see it commands us to believe. Sometimes it, sees, uh, it commands us to repent and believe. But I'm convinced that repentance and faith are synonymous. They're not two sides of the same coin. They're the same exact coin. When you repent, you believe. When you believe, you repent. Because if that were not the case, then the Apostle John preached an incomplete gospel. The, the book of John is the only book in the Bible written on believers. John 20, 31 says, These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life through his name. So here's something interesting. 98 times the word believe is used as a sole requirement for salvation in the book of John. Do you know how many times the word repentance is used? Zero. That means if repentance was a separate step from faith, then John the Apostle preached an incomplete gospel. I refuse to believe that the book of John is incomplete. That also means that Jesus preached an incomplete gospel in John 3.16 to Nicodemus. And I refuse to believe Jesus preached an incomplete gospel. So what is the, what is the answer? The answer is really understanding the definition of the word repentance. The word repent comes from the Greek word metanoia. It literally means a change of mind. To change the way that we're thinking. And of course, a change of mind, what should flow out of that is a changed life. 
So when John the Baptist preaches, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, he's, saying, he's literally saying, change your mind for the kingdom of God is at hand. I want you to change the way that you're thinking, change your perspective. My buddy Doug Holliday, who's the executive director of Sun Life North America, has a great definition of repentance. Repentance is a change of mind about sin, self, and Savior. It's a change of mind about sin in that it's a barrier between us and a holy God. It's a change of mind about self in that there's nothing we can do to remove that barrier. It's a change of mind about the Savior in that Jesus was the only one qualified to remove that barrier and that he did so at the cross. I love that definition. It's changing your mind about sin, self, and Savior. There's nothing I can do to remove that sin in and of myself. Matter of fact, the Savior is the only one qualified to remove that barrier between me and a holy God. You think about it. Every world system is based on what we do, and Jesus is calling for us to repent. Change your mind about it being dependent on you and put your faith in me and me alone. Come to me as a sinner, totally unable to save yourself, and trust in me alone, and I will save you. Uh, Dan Fanning, who's the Associate Academic Dean and Assistant Professor at Word of Life Bible Institute, uh, was teaching. Actually, my daughter goes to Word of Life Bible Institute. Great, great program. Uh, But he was teaching in class, and she sent me this picture of a sticky note that she had took and put it on her computer. Repenting is changing your mind uh, to move from a works-based system to a faith-based system by believing in faith in Christ alone. I love that. We're changing our perspective that we can save ourselves, and we're changing our mind that only Christ can save us. We see this, uh, this unique relationship between repentance and faith in Acts 11, 17, and 18, uh, after the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit, uh, Peter is kind of given an account and recounting the story of how the Gentiles miraculously received the Holy Spirit. He's presenting this to the apostles, and we see how the apostles and Peter equate faith and repentance as the same coin, as the same thing. Acts eleven seventeen and 18. They said, So if God gave them, the Gentiles, the same gift He gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ— Who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, the apostles, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So right there, you know, Peter is talking about, hey, he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. The apostles say, uh, God's even granted to the Gentiles repentance that leads to life. Repentance and faith. Uh, When you believe in Christ and trust in Him, you repent. And when you repent, you believe in Christ. What is the result of this repentance and faith? The new believer becomes a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. But we must not inadvertently add to the gospel by making repentance a work. If you say repentance, you have to turn from your sin and then come to Christ, we've immediately moved to the latter. And now we're adding rungs to the simple gospel of grace. No, we we change our mind. We repent. We put our faith in Christ alone because we know we're sinners who need a Savior. And once we trust in Him, we rest in that chair. We rest on the cross fully in Him. He changes us. And that turning from sin flows out of a changed heart. Here's how the great reformer Martin Luther put it. No one can be good and do good 
unless God's grace first makes him good. And no one becomes good by works, but good works are done only by him who is good. Just so that the just so the fruits do not make the tree, but the tree bears the fruit. Therefore, all works, no matter how good they are and how pretty they look, are in vain if they do not flow from grace. Turning from sin, serving Christ, making Jesus the king in every area of our lives flows from our salvation. And our salvation comes from faith alone in Christ alone by grace. So when sharing the gospel, you want to take them back to faith alone and Christ alone as the key to salvation. Again, it's so simple a child could do it. We want to present the clear gospel with nothing added. I want to illustrate this by telling one story, and then I'm going to invite my guests to interact with me about this. Uh, when I was 19 years old, I had the privilege of preaching at the Denver Rescue Mission. Now, the Denver Rescue Mission... You know, uh, like a lot of rescue missions, if you want to stay the night there, if you're homeless, if you want to eat their food, you got to sit through the sermon. So they are looking for preachers all the time. So they took this 19-year-old uh, uh, teenager and allowed me to preach uh, to, I don't know, 150 uh, homeless uh, people, uh, many of them alcoholics, many of them on drugs. But I preached through the sermon. The rescue mission staff is just kind of sitting along the side of the room. I'm trying to keep everybody's attention. So I thought, man, I'm going to say this. How many of you have heard, if you want to get saved, you get it, You got to give up your drinking, your smoking, your alcohol, and all your sexual sins. And You know, they kind of raise their hands. A lot of them, again, just drunk or high. Yeah, we heard that. I said, I want to tell you something a little bit different today. And the room got quiet. And the rescue mission staff got nervous. I said, I want to tell you this. If you want to go to heaven... Keep all your alcohol, keep all your drugs, keep all your cigarettes, keep all your sexual sins. And one guy yelled out, hey, man, this guy's good. He's good. And the rescue mission staff, no kidding, they stood up and started whispering to each other because they're trying to think how to get me off stage. And I said, you keep all your sins and you come to Christ and his cross, totally unable to save yourself from those sins. And you kneel at the foot of the cross, recognizing you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And you put your faith in Christ alone and trust that He died in your place for all your sins. And He will forgive you for all your sins. And He will give you eternal life because He rose from the dead three days later. And He will transform you from the inside out. He'll give you the power and desire to turn from those sins. But you can't have the power, you can't have the desire until you have Jesus. And you can't have Jesus until you put your faith in Him and His finished work on the cross. And the rescue mission staff sat back down. And seven men that night indicated faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The power of the clear gospel of grace. So when you preach the gospel, before you give the invitation, give the gospel clearly. All right, kind of ranting and raving here, but uh, I got my friend and, uh, and fellow evangelist, John Burdett, uh, on, and we're going to talk a little bit about this. John, uh, welcome. Welcome to, to this episode. Yeah, great great to be on here with you, Greg. Man, you're preaching. I'm getting excited over here. Getting, grace is something to be excited about. Amen. It's great. Yeah. It's great. Well, I know these are, you know, given a clear gospel, something we've talked about again yeah. and again, 
just kind of as we are going through these points, what are some things that pop to your mind? Maybe questions or comments, thoughts? Yeah, go yeah, it. I love it. I love the, just talking about the simple, clear, pure gospel message. And While how, you're doing that, I'm going to have and it, some clear, yeah, clear, clear one. Drink the clear one. Make sure you drink the clear one, right? Uh, but I think, you know, we talk about the pure message. It starts with pure motives too, right? Like, when, And you've written some great articles about this. Uh, because I have, I know you have many others watching and listening probably have been in evangelistic meetings where it was, it was very muddy speaking of the glasses. Like I remember one in particular, I was at this, this meeting and it was like, Hey, if you want to get, I mean, it's invitation time. If you want to get closer to God, raise your hand. I'm like, I'll raise my hand. You know, like, I think everybody in the building probably raised their hand. And then the next yeah. thing was, well, look at all the people that's come to know Christ as Savior. You're like, wait a second. I didn't get saved, you know? And that's just another example of that's not as confusing. That's unclear. And, and, you know, that you know, can start with un- impure motives of what, what, why are we doing this? You know, trying to bolster our numbers. Yes. And so yes. it's easy to kind of make that, that invitation time for the believer and unbeliever. Yes. So we can see more hands go up or more people flood the aisle or get more cards turned in or get more text messages. Yes. You're right. That is a, it's an easy temptation. Well, and so a clear message has to start with a clear motive, right? Clear conscience, clear motive, pure motives about that. And I just love love everything that you said. And we've talked about before about the gospel of John used 98 times the word believe, by the way, only used 50 more times than all the other 26 books of the new Testament. But John uses it 98 times. And the only book written to show how people can be eternally saved. So he made it simple. I know I've talked to friends sometimes and like, yeah, but the gospel, it's deep and it's so, it's so rich and you never, I get it. You never graduate from it as a believer, but there's something to be said about salvation and discipleship. You know, there's a little different there, but believers are born again, but disciples are made. Right. And so as far as the, as far as the gospel is concerned to lost people, and we all were at one time, it had to be simple. It had to be clear for us to understand it. And put our uh, trust in Christ. And so I love that because the power is in the gospel and just us simply believing not. It's not in our strong, how strong our faith is. I was, you know, when you're talking about, do I look hard enough? You know, John uses that illustration as well as receiving like a gift. But uh, it's not in, it's not in how strong our faith is. It's the object of our faith. It's about yeah. Jesus. And so a, a weak faith in a strong boat. I heard this. I heard this said the other day. I can't remember who said it. Weak faith in a strong boat is better than strong faith in a boat with holes in it, right? It's the yeah, object of your Lee, faith, you know? Lee Strobel says, would you rather have great faith on thin ice or a little faith on thick ice? There you go. Same concept. Same, same idea. Same idea. So yeah. it's that simply, that simple belief. But I was, you know, I think you already kind of answered this, but one question, I, we've talked about this offline before. One question I always uh, talk to, with folks about. I wanted to ask this too, because I want everybody watching and listening. I, I think there are going to be a, some of them like me at one point where some of this stuff, you just do it. You do it kind of by mistake unintentionally. Like it's yeah. tradition that's been passed down and you're just pat, like the word repent. I'd like to get to that in just a moment. But why do you think it's so hard for yeah. so many people to accept that salvation is free? I think you kind of already answered that, but just to kind of hit, hit that directly. Like, why is it so hard? I, I think there's two reasons. One is I think there's something in, in us that wants to earn it, even if it's a little bit. Yes. Like, if there's one thread of works on your gray sweater, yep. 
the lost person will go for that. And we'll, we'll, we like to, you know, give them something to do. We don't, we want to make sure grace is not abused. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think sometimes we bolster it to make it, you know, like, well, if you really, you know, you know, like some, some people say, well, grace is, you know, salvation is free, but it'll cost you everything you have. Right. I was like, I don't, I don't understand what that Right. Means. It's like right. somebody that says, well, I'm the chief amongst equal. I go, no, you you can't be the chief amongst equals. You're either chief or <laughs> equal. Right. You can't be both. Right. Take your pick. Um, but I, I, I do think there's something in our flesh that wants to add something. Uh, I also think some of it is muscle memory. I don't, I don't think the average pastor or evangelist gets up and says, you know, I'm going to pervert the gospel today. Right. Right. Exactly. I, I think these are, some of these are just terms yeah. that have been handed down to us. That's generation to generation, and nobody is stopping to say, "Well, hey, the emperor's naked here. Exactly, <laughs> this, is not, this is not an accurate message here." Exactly, you know. Yeah, where is let Jesus in your heart anywhere in the New Testament? Yeah, right. Just, or how can I actually turn from my sin before I come to Christ? Yeah, we got to we got to put it in the right order. We come to Christ, and then you know He begins to turn us from our sin right away. Yes, right? He's actively yes. working. To sanctify his children, absolutely. But absolutely. but we want to make it almost like, like you, you, you know, we want to maybe one rung on our ladder. Yes, right. I gotta have something, 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 something. Because yeah. we, it's hard for us to believe it's just a chair. Yeah, and I just think that yeah, it's that's just great. That's great. I think it goes back to our own sin nature, right? It's that pride yeah. that goes back to the garden when you know when when Adam and Eve were were kicked out and they were, well, they were about to be kicked out. They realized they were naked. And then here come the fig leaves. First sign yeah. of work salvation. I got to do something. And we always think we got to yeah, do something. Think. And so, well, that's great. And I, you know, the, the gospel acrostic uh, is fantastic. Ever since I got you introduced to dare to share and the acrostic years ago as a youth pastor, senior pastor, now an evangelist, I use it every time I use it when I train, I use it when I preach, I'm, I'm coaching, as you know, I'm coaching a group of, of pastors and, uh, California, the Coachella Valley area right now. We we just did a session through the, the acrostic a couple months ago. And they're like, you know what? We're just going to do this. Like every invitation, like we're every just going to use this. I'm like, hey, amen, because it's, and the reason why they say it is it's clear. Like I, that way, yeah, they're I, never I, I, going I, to worry about, did I not make it clear? Let's memorize this, but then also like verbal, like make it personal, make it your own. Not just a robot reciting it, but then, you know, verbalizing that. Hey, you know, it's funny because I can always pick out uh, pastors that went to Dare to Share yeah. when they were teenagers yeah. or brought teenagers to, to Dare to Share because they'll weave that. They'll make it their own words, but they hit all the points. Yeah. And it really, I said it earlier, it becomes a sort of quality control, Yeah. making sure you're you're telling the whole story and focusing on the cross of Christ. And, I mean, talking about sin. Absolutely. Uh, because, you know, just because, I mean, we say, well, you're saved by faith alone doesn't mean we don't talk about sin. We need to talk about sin. Yeah. People need to be convicted. They need to sense the Holy Spirit conviction. Man, I, I'm a sinner. I'm in need of a Savior. You know, yeah. we need to be that John the Baptist that that made, you know, Herod nervous. That's right. Uh, about, you know, that and be the Apostle Paul who made was it Agrippa uh, or Festus nervous. Yes. Uh, we preach in self-control, Judgment Day, exactly. Heaven, Hell, all that stuff. Yeah, you know, that's right. To, to prepare them for the reception of God's grace through faith alone in Christ. That, that's exactly right. That's so good. And, you know, I just, I think I about uh, even there's a time I want to share a little too long of a story here, but just the, many times have I had to share the acrostic personally when I share the gospel, uh, many times when I've done that, because it tells the stories you're saying from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Um, that's just become my personal uh, 
way of sharing personally and one-on-one. -on -one. And there was a lady named Emily once on an airplane. You know, it's a great time to share your faith. You're 30,000 feet high. Nobody's, yeah. nobody's going anywhere, right? And so uh, it was a wild situation, though. She was, on, she was a Muslim on her way to Austin, Texas, to meet a man from Morocco who's a Muslim that she's going to meet for the first time and marry that night. That don't, that don't happen every day, but her name was Emily and, and I got to asking questions and she was like, you know, I, I, I was raised Catholic. That didn't work out. I went to a church with some Christian friends when I was a young adult. That didn't work out. Now I'm Muslim. And so what, what bothered me was I ended up sharing the gospel with her. And she said, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. And, and unsolicited, she says, if I had heard this four years ago, I believe I'd be a Christian right now. She said that. And I was like, it's not too late. But she said she had never heard all those times that she was going to church with her Christian friends. They never told her. And and they and she never heard a clear gospel message at the churches that she was attending. Right. Grace, grace obliterates the works based approach. Do you know yes. what the word Islam means? Ah, I've heard this before, but I've forgotten. What is it? It means submission. Submission. That's right. Yeah. There you go. You know, I think we have a lot of Christian Islam. Yeah. That we make it more about our submission to Christ, our efforts to please him, our our do, you know, do stop, try, cry. Yep. Uh, than receiving grace. That's right. That that you know, we're saved simply by grace through That's faith. It. But that grace, I always want to say this, it's not a license to sin. Yes. It's a reason to serve. Exactly. So when I meet a when I meet somebody that claims uh Christ, but they're living like sin. I go, okay, one of two things is true. Mm -hmm. Either you never put your faith in Christ or, or you did put your faith in Christ and you're absolutely miserable Yeah, because you have the Holy Spirit inside you convicting and you're going to stand before God at the judgment right. of Christ, give an account, and maybe all your deeds will burn up. You'll, you'll, you'll be saved yet as one escaping through the flames like 1 Corinthians 3, but you're going to enter into heaven yeah. with nothing exactly. uh, to show for your life except yeah. for that foundation, which is Christ. Exactly. And so that does, just because we're saved by grace through faith doesn't mean we get away with sin. Right. You know, uh, and there is an accounting that we, yeah. it's called the judgment seat. Of and Christ. we need to separate justification and sanctification. I think that's where we, exactly. like, it's, it's the deal where, you know, like, what about discipleship? Like, what about, so and I love how dare to share and you've always worded this, like, you know, Getting on Team Jesus is free, but being a starter on the team, that will cost you everything. And, and there's a difference because John 13 through 17, it does spend time talking about discipleship, obeying, oh, yeah. surrender. But that's not salvation. That he, God wants every believer to be a disciple, a fully devoted disciple. But first, you got to believe and receive. And so... Um, well, and you see it in Romans 12.1. I beg you, therefore, brothers, in view yeah. of God's mercy... Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. He's talking to brothers and sisters yeah. in Christ who had been saved. And he's like, now go all in. Surrender. And fully surrender yourself That's as right. a believer in Christ to follow him in every yeah. every area. And hopefully, you know, it's my prayer and desire. That happens from day one. A person comes sure. to Christ, they begin to grow in Christ, but they understand their service flows out of their salvation. It's that separation. You know what? You don't want to mix salvation and sanctification. That's right. You Correct. know. Uh, you get a heresy smoothie. That's right? the, and I think that's a big problem that we see. Yeah, her, heresy yeah. smoothie. Yeah, that's another one that can that can be as bad as drinking something muddy. But the thing about repentance, about, about repentance. again, I said this a minute ago. I just anybody watching, pastors, leaders, uh, you know, listening, 
many are front loading the gospel by teaching repentance as a work. And it's not what it is. And I actually, there were times in my ministry, I was taught that. So what did I do? Well, I just passed it on. But getting to understand that that, that word metanoia noia means it change your mind. It's a game changer when you realize uh, that re repentance and faith actually go hand in hand. And they better, right? As you said, yeah. because we got issues in scripture otherwise with, with John and Acts and other places where it's a combo or one or the other. So, yeah. yeah exactly. Repentance is a great word. Uh, we just need to define it. That's the, key. That's the key. Let's do yeah. And I think we have to be more intentional yeah. about that today more than ever because of the misuse of that word. Exactly. And because, again, the lost audience, they're going to look for the works thread yes. on a gray sweater. Yes. Yeah. They're going to go right to that, what I must do. I remember once, John, I was, a, I was at a festival, and uh, like a back when they were called Crusades. Yes. Mile High Stadium. I mean, tens of thousands of people. And the guy preaching gave five things to be saved. And he said, if you don't walk the aisle tonight, you cannot be saved. Whew. I ran the aisle. Yeah. Everybody thought the Dare to Share guy was getting saved. <laughs> yeah. And I found two guys down there, two Latino guys. I go, what are you guys doing? They said, well, the guy said if we didn't walk the aisle, we couldn't be saved. Mm. I go, the guy doesn't know what he's talking about. And I gave <laughs> the gospel to them, led them to Christ. I started going around and really helping clarify yeah. the gospel. Man, it is so important we give it clearly. Yeah, you got to stay focused on it. Just two days ago, I was uh, meeting with a young man that my family and I have been praying for for a long time. My son shared with him. My daughter shared with him. We got a chance to meet after Thanksgiving. And um, he, could, he, he, was, he was lost. He had a Buddhist background and then the kind of ag agnosticism. And it kind of came down to he just couldn't wrap his head around just trusting. He is, I'm trying, I'm trying. And I used the drowning victim you, you were talking about. I just said, well, what does a drowning victim yeah, got to do to be saved? And he said, well, I guess they got to really swim out of there. I'm like, no, they're drowning. They can't. That's yeah. the problem. And the rescue, he said, I guess I got to let the rescue swimmer swim me. You got to trust. I got to get to trust that he'll, that he'll rescue me. And I'm like, yeah. that's it. And like tr trust in the way of resting, like that full weight of resting. Jesus said, come to me. I'll give you rest. Resting in Christ alone to save you. And it clicked with him in that moment. And he put his faith yeah. in Jesus. And so that's a good, that's a great, that's a great way to wrap up this podcast. Because I, I do think, you know, those who fight, against the rescuer yes, and try to save themselves are the ones that drown. That's it. But those are the ones that just say, take me, Jesus, save me. Those are the ones that get taken safely to the shore. That's right. So, so John, uh, anybody listening to this that, you know, you coach pastors and the seven gospel advancing values. Yeah. yeah. Your, your, your passion is to see these values churchwide. How would they get a hold of you? Yeah, just uh, hit me up. My number is uh, 859-512-9915. Or you can just email me at John, J-O-N, no H, John at JohnBurdettMinistries.com or just go to JohnBurdettMinistries.com and you can find out more. We're just trying to help uh, equip churches to evangelize effectively and help create a culture in those churches of advancing the gospel here, near, and far. Amen, amen. Thanks so much for being a part of this. And man, a gospel advancing ministry yeah. is a thriving one because it's fueled by grace. The gospel of grace. Amen. Thank you, Greg.